Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Jennifer Leggio, the Chief Marketing Officer at Flashpoint. Co-hosts Emily Hacker and myself sat down with Jennifer to cover industry trends, the threat intelligence space, and their experience in the industry. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on September 19th, 2019. With us today is CMO extraordinaire at Flashpoint, Jennifer Leggio. Jennifer is also on the board of advisors for Infosight and a portfolio advisor at Glasswing Ventures. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. And thank you for saying nice things about me. <laughs> Our pleasure. There are so many things to choose from, so it was harder to pick what to go into there. Very accomplished person. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Perfect. And so today, just to give everyone some insight, we're going to be picking Jennifer's brain on industry trends, threat intelligence space, and just Jennifer's experience in the security industry itself. So we're also joined by Domain Tool Security Researcher Emily Hacker. Hello, all. <laughs> it's nice to have you here, Emily. It's been too long. Um, we spend hours in this room together, so. Yeah, it's starting to become uh, like there's not a Kelsey and Emily. <laughs> Kimberly. Kimberly. <laughs> Your celebrity name. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. We're excited to have you. And we're going to just kick right into some questions here. And Emily's going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But as a marketeer myself, um, and I'll have you know that uh, Emily just had a Rosie the Riveter kind of a <laughs> strong arm look over here. So I just want you to feel a part of oh that visual God. cue. <laughs> I, that. I just did that on my end, too. So we are perfect. We are aligned. We're, we're aligned. Now we're... Jimalika. Oh, what? I'm so impressed wow. by how quickly you did that. <laughs> it's concerning, right? That's, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> All right, Emily, well, let, let's begin. Go ahead and get us going here. All right. Thanks, Kelsey. Um, we want to start off by talking um, about the industry kind of at large, Jennifer. Um, so um, you've worked in the security industry for a good amount of time, and I'm wondering, how would you say the industry has evolved since you were first in this space? Oh, goodness. It's, it's changed so much. Uh, I first started, you know, I think I'm heading into 20 years ago to age myself here, uh, and I, it's, it's become so much more, and I feel like such a cliche by saying this, but it's the truth. Security used to be that thing that was this like scary underground thing that only the people who really need to know about it knew about it. And, you know, and now it's just mainstream. It's everywhere. And that's a little, quite frankly, a little annoying at times because when you see TV shows, some may or may not have a robot type character <laughs> in them that get it wrong most of the time. But it's such a mainstream thing. And that's, you know, you think that more people being aware of security and some of the things that bad actors do, that it would get more secure, but it's going the opposite direction. So that's the thing I find most interesting about it. But there are lots of other things, of course, that have changed in terms of trends of attacks. But I think that's the most high level, most prominent uh, thing. I'm going to embarrass myself here briefly. Um, I was recently rewatching all of Veronica Mars <laughs> on Hulu, and there was a scene from that 
TV show where Veronica Mars' character like pulls up in front of a house and this guy's like, ah, one of the first houses with Wi-Fi on the block. And she's sitting in front of the house and it's their family name, Wi-Fi, and she just joins it. And there's no like password associated with it, but she's just suddenly, and she's like, I'm in. Oh, and there's like spy music in the background. Hacker voice. Hacker voice. <laughs> it was wonderful how far we've come. But also, yes, absolutely. You see that in TV shows all the time in movies. Yeah, if you really want to drive yourself crazy, I can't believe I'm saying this in public, but I actually one night was really bored and watched Unfriended Dark Web. Oh my gosh. That or not, it's one of those really bad social media when they're just all on video. It was all about this guy who buys, he steals a computer or something and ties them into the criminal underground. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life, and I don't know why I was doing that to myself. <laughs> I mean, it sounds I amazing. To share that with you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Now I'm going to familiarize, familiarize myself I with that. you could have seen Kelsey's face and mine, because we were just staring at each other wide eyed with <laughs> looks of glee. <laughs> we have now been introduced to this. <laughs> it's so bad, it's good. It's so bad, it's good. That's my kind of TV. <laughs> Well, that's um, interesting because it kind of ties in with my next question as well. You know, we're talking about how, um, you know, Hacker Voice, I'm in, might be a little more difficult now. But, Jennifer, how would you say that attackers have evolved in the past, you know, 10, 20 years? And um, do you think that defenders are doing a good job of keeping up with them? You know, it was interesting to think about what uh, the attackers have been doing. (laughs) There's so much that... With as much as everything changes, it stays the same, right? Uh, there's a lot of going back to basics. Um, there are a lot of more, you know, it used to be where it was like there, everything was on the perimeter. Everything was coming at your network. You had to harden your network. You have to make sure that your software was secure, or at least try to by installing AV that likely didn't work all that well. Um, but now it's, um, you know, attackers have gotten smart and there's social engineering. There's basically, you know, a lot of data dumps. There's a lot of uh, stuff that really uh, exposes the more human elements or, or the human weakness in terms of um, attacks. And then just in general, the um, the attacks have just gotten more sophisticated. And I'm not a technologist. I'm not a hacker. I will not pretend to be. But where I'm saying, you know, it, it goes back to basics a lot. It, it's amazing how many old, um, you know, older malware and bots and so on that were used in the past become relevant again today because there's a whole new crop of people to attack that may not be aware. There are systems that are starting to get earlier systems and um, I should say security teams and technologies that are looking at really uh, sophisticated uh, attacks and sometimes they forget about the really basic things because they just assume that you know, something's patched or that can't be exploited anymore. And that happens. And we've seen a lot of that last year. Yeah, for sure. That's something that um, it's so funny you bring that up because we were just talking about that on this week's episode of the podcast about how what's old is always new again. It's just um, a never ending cycle. It feels like. I think that might need to be an episode like (laughs) how clothing trends are like malware and bots. It just keeps coming back. Exactly. (laughs) I know, it's like bots, the jelly shoes of security. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. But like thanks to the way like the cryptors work and like the unchanging failings of human nature, they haven't had to change that much. They have, of course, because they figured out larger money making schemes and a couple of years ago at RSA, I did a talk about basically the go-to-market model of an underground um, actor, right? Because they're doing a lot of 
they're doing lead gen, they're doing analysis, they're looking to see what works, they're doing press releases, they're doing all these things. They, they don't really have to because there are always more people that to, to try to pop, which is a shame. And I think one of the questions that I didn't answer and I meant to, do I feel like defenders are doing a good job? I think they're doing the best that they can with the resources that they have, but um, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of saying if they were doing a good job, we wouldn't have any more hacks. And that's like saying like if, you know, and I know this is controversial in some ways, so I don't want to dig into that, but, you know, it's like saying, well, if law enforcement was doing its job, we would have no more crime. And things just don't work like that. It's not that linear. No, agreed, 100%. Um, you know, it's slightly maybe depressing to talk about where we've been and where we are now, but what about where we're going? Where do you see the industry going in the next couple of years? Where do I think that we're going? Um, you know, I... There are a lot of different, I keep saying this, but there are a lot of different ways that I could I could look at that. Look at where do I think, I'm not the best person to talk about how I think attacks might evolve, but in terms of the industry, uh, I think that people are starting to learn that you can't just rely on technology and process for, for, uh, for the sake of process and everything else, you know, improve security. You also can't, I really believe in the move behind security awareness and all the education there, but you can't keep putting the onus on people to know everything to protect themselves. They have to know some, of course, but companies that have consumers, companies with employees and so on, need to be able to protect themselves and protect the people that rely on them. And there's an element of really involving human analysis, like what are the actors doing? What's the profile of the attacker? You know, what are their motivations? And they're different for every industry. They're different for every size of company. They're different for every region and country. And you can't just, you know, slap a box in a data room and you can't just install something and improve your protection. They're going to have to start working that even more and more into what they're doing and to protect themselves. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thanks so much for that. Um, for 2020, do you have any specific predictions regarding the industry or actors or anything that you think we're really going to be seeing next year? I think the obvious one is we're going to see a lot more around election hacking oh, good, next good year and a lot of conversation around that. Um, I'm curious for you know professional and personal reasons what impact that is going to have. And as you know, like what is the last two black hats? That's been a big focus of mm-hmm. it, Rachel Tobak that does a lot of the stuff around really interesting stuff around election hacking. I think there's going to be a huge focus there in general and what that means for the geopolitical and socioeconomic climate. And I think a lot of things are going to be derived with what happens during these election cycles. Um, and, you know, do we go into a recession or not? If we go into a recession, all criminals and even cyber criminals end up more desperate and they, you know, you end up with more uh, attacks and things like that. At the same time, the counter of that is if you go through an accession, a recession, people often say that security vendors and such are recession-proof. I don't fully uh, you know, agree with that, but there is more of a need for defenders to get innovative in that sense. So I think a lot of it's going to, like, I think more than more than it's been in a long time, I think, um, you know, our geopolitical, socioeconomic climate is going to have a huge impact on what happens in the security industry and in the attacker community in 2020. Yeah, that's a really good answer. And it just it really does put in perspective how um, 
how serious our industry is. You know, it's not, I feel like in the past, a lot of times it's like, what do you think are the predictions for 2017, for 2018? It's like, oh, criminals will be bad. But I really like your answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, this isn't just like someone's network might maybe get hacked and oh no, now we know their password. Like that's, that's so minor compared to how, you know, bad things can potentially be if we, you know, keep letting things slide. So thank you for that answer. Right. Well, the other thing, if you don't mind me adding, is like if you look at some of the things that around um, critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. especially with some of these things heating up, and you, especially with some of the things that are happening in the world right now that are really scary, I think focus on critical infrastructure for security is going to be even, I mean, it's already hugely life or death important, but it's going to be even more so. So I think companies like Dragos and others are going to have a lot of eyes on them for the research they're doing um, and what they're trying to do. Uh, for that part of the industry um, as well. I think it, it really all ties together. Agreed, 100%. And, you know, you mentioned Black Hat, you mentioned critical infrastructure, and that's one of the terms I've been hearing at conferences this year that I definitely think is good that we're throwing around. It's something we need to be talking about. But are there any other terms or trends that you keep seeing bubbling up in these conferences that you think maybe are like flashes in the pans or distractions maybe from what we really need to be paying attention to? <sighs> distractions oh there are so many of them um super next gen <laughs> enterprise amazing license better with air type has <laughs> always been a thing um so i think those are distractions i you know for me i can't even dig into like one specific trend but something that i'm very vocal about is I, I still feel like we've got to get a handle on the whole FUD thing in our industry because I feel like that is the biggest, one of the biggest distractions for defenders because they may know, okay, that person on the news that's trying to be a talking head and saying all those scary things or, you know, this company, no offense to my marketing people, put out a press release that is like, here are the reasons that your company is going to get hacked and lose millions of dollars next year. Um, that the defenders themselves, the po- folks in the trenches, the ones sitting in the sock of the fusion centers, they know that that's a bunch of BS, but their board doesn't mm-hmm. and their CEO doesn't. And some other business leaders or some even technical leaders and our security leaders don't know that. And that's, that creates distractions from them. So, um, or for them rather. So I, that's the thing that bugs me because it has so many implications. Yes, and I think you said, this might have actually come up at the InfoSecurity Summit that you did, but you said, don't be an advertiser for the enemy when you're talking about FUD, and that really resonated with me, and absolutely, as another fellow marketeer, the staying away from FUD, yeah, yeah, it's very important and couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned that one of that, you know, avoiding FUD is one of the things you're most vocal about. And um, I'm so glad to hear that as someone who on the other side is not a marketeer in the stock, but I'm curious, <laughs> what is something that you would say that you're the most passionate about in this industry? I would, yeah, I, you know, I would say, I think it all ties together. Um, my, um, it ties into, it ties into the FUD piece. It also ties into like, don't be, don't advertise for the attacker and everything else. Um, I would like to see um, more people take the stance of do no harm. It's kind of like doctors, right? Like they go in to assess something and, and do no harm. And of course they're looking to heal. 
but that's where you start, right? Um, one of the things that I've also spoken about in the past, and this is this is going to sound a little silly because a lot of researchers have really big voices. They have a lot of good external voices, but somebody needs to, to give them a voice. If they're working, any company that they're working for, unless they're fully independent, is going to want them to do something that's going to help the outcome of that business. And that's just the rea- realities of the type of society that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yay, capitalism and all that. <laughs> but, you know, you can't, it, 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 there's a lot of companies that want to expose their researchers um, to benefit the growth of their business or to make a sale or to improve their brands. Um, and there are others that want to hide them away and not give them credit for the work that they do. Uh, because they think that there's some risk, even though that's, that's not a risk generally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would say, you know, if I, if I had my druthers, if I had an opportunity to talk to other business leaders like myself that maybe weren't steeped in security so long, um, and help them understand how, you know, you need to work with security teams and researchers and how security starts on the business side. It's not just with technology. And at the same time, work with the researchers to understand how to defend themselves, but also know what they can do to help the business that protects their credibility as well as users everywhere. That's what I would spend my time doing. Unfortunately, there's not a chief do no harm officer role yet at any company. So there's, you know, someday I'll get to do that. That's really cool. Uh, I think Emily and I are both sitting over here nodding profusely. I wish there was such thing as like an audio nod that we could just play as this is happening. Yeah, there you go. That's an audio nod. It's snapping. Yeah, that's very well put. Well yeah, said. Thank you. Um, I'm going to change gears here a little bit. It's so interesting to hear about, you know, what's going on in the industry, but it's also really important to talk about who is in the industry. And um, one of the things that I think is fairly um, indisputable is that the security industry is is still vastly unbalanced in terms of diversity in a number of ways. And I'm wondering what advice would you have for underrepresented and disenfranchised individuals who are either already in the industry or who are trying to break into the industry? I think the number one thing that I would say, and this is easier said than done because Every under under excuse me, every underestimated group has different challenges. Don't self select out. They, I, there's a study, and I know some people talk about it, and this is more related to gender. But in this facet, what is it? It's like a very high percentage of men will apply for a job that they are highly unqualified for. Whereas a very small percent of women will do that and they look to see where they fit in terms of qualifications. Um, and again, that's just one, then, you know, the gender piece is just one piece of the, the diversity challenge. And there's all kinds of other factors. You know, we, sadly, as you know, we've had a lot of controversy in our industry with the way some people have been treated in certain roles and jobs and, and the community and events. Um, you know, while as much work is done to, um, to be more, you know, open and get new talent in. Folks are doing some great stuff at the at the college level with all kinds of different folks to encourage them to get into security. Um, there's still a lot of fears out there, and I've talked to people before where they've said, you know, 
this, this is really hard. People don't seem to be welcoming here. Or that person doesn't want me to do that. And you can't let them get to you. You, you just can't. And, um, ask for help, talk to a mentor, even if it's someone that you find on social media that you really appreciate chatting with, ask them how they've gotten through things like that. I've certainly had situations like that in the past where I'm like, you know what, this is too hard. I'm totally fine just sitting where I'm at right now. I'm not going to say anything. And then I was like, no, I talked to good mentors. No, don't sit back. You're just as smart. You're just as good. You can do these things too. Um, and push forward. But I just don't want to, I just want to make sure in saying this that I'm not oversimplifying the challenges out there. But the one thing you can control are the choices that you make. So you've got to keep on pushing yourself because sometimes no one else is going to be there to push you. Wow, that is excellent advice. And I actually, that resonates with me a lot. I know when I was, you know, looking for this job, I'm glad I got it. But I was so guilty of doing that where I would see um, like a job posting online and I would be like a 99% match. I'd be like, ooh, but one of these nice to haves, I don't think I'm fully qualified and like not apply. Like, why do I do that? I don't know. Anyway, that was just like a side note. But actually, that resonated with me a lot. So thank you for that advice. Of course. And then there's other angles to that too. You know, for me and for marketers, right? I get a lot of, well, you're not in security because you're in marketing, you're not technical, you know, things like that. And that happens to a lot of folks in the, in the marketing community. And there are a lot of marketers, like one of the reasons I've been in security for as long as I have is because I really care about the outcome. I really care about protecting people, but I'm not, I don't have that technical skill set. I can't do some of the things that, you know, others can do. And, but I like being around that. And I like helping in my way. But I remember when I got an opportunity to speak last year in DEFCON Ethics, Ethics Village about some of these very topics, I went to a couple of my really close friends who were very technical roles, CISOs and what have you. And I was like, I can't do this. They're going to throw baloney at me. I'm not going to be able to do I can't go to DEFCON. I'm in marketing. And they're like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this because there are a lot of marketers out there that are watching you to see how you do this so they can do that too. So I feel like if you, whatever your role, whether it's, you know, you're starting in your career or whether you've been at for 20 years and you're an executive, you have to remember there are people watching you too to try to learn how to be strong and, and break through some of the glass for them. So I think that's important as well. Yes, and this is just a perfect dovetail, actually, into the next part of the conversation we were hoping to have with with you, which was um, in an article published on ZDNet a few years ago, you're talking about hacker summer camp. Um, and you said, as a marketer, you're the first to admit that the event name used to make me feel like a bit of an outcast, but kind of telling yourself, hey, you belong there too. And that definitely resonates with me as I had a conversation with Sherrod DeGrippo from Proofpoint Security. Yes, thank you. And she said something that really resonated with me. And this is a bit of a tangential comment, but she said um, what she finds when she's hiring security practitioners is that they basically have to be a little bit anxious and basically have a lot of empathy for their end users. It, to me, what I was picking up from what she was talking about. And so that definitely sounds a lot like what you were just mentioning. And anyway, not to go on too far of a tangent, but I really appreciate 
from what you said, having you to look up to in this space and know that, hey, I, you know, I belong here too as somebody that runs a cybersecurity podcast. I definitely want to be respected of someone that knows what she's talking about. Um, anyway, getting back to the question after my little soliloquy there, you're clearly extremely skilled. Oh, th- of course. Well, I appreciate saying it to you. <laughs> Let's start a compliment circle. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, you're clearly incredibly skilled and respected in the industry. Um, and so you gave some great advice on fighting imposter syndrome along these lines. And I would love for you to share your guidance in this realm. And you gave a little bit of that in your previous answer to Emily, but just anything else you can share along those lines is very helpful. Yeah, I I think it's, I I I wish I could say that I didn't deal with it and I didn't deal with it daily, but I do. Um, there are a lot of times where I stand and I'm like, when are they going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing? Or I have a big project right now at work that I'm work, that I'm doing and I'm excited by it and it's a huge opportunity, but I'm like, oh my gosh, are they going to realize they're going to call me? But like, you know what? Never mind. We're going to get someone smarter to do that. Um, it's a, it's a regular thing and it's a real thing and that does foster anxiety in a lot of people and a lot of people are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that it, it makes them feel weak. I think the more that we can be open in the community about some of these challenges and I don't want it to be, sometimes I see it as a way of validation of like, no, you're so smart. No, you're so accomplished. The more of a, hey, let's get like the, you're just saying the, the empathy piece, right? Let's get back to being human about it. Uh, so that's just kind of my high level take in terms of advice and dealing with it. I, it, it sounds really silly, but I self-talk, I get myself back to the present. I, I run anxious anyway. So it's how I deal with anxiety, any other type of anxiety. And I feel like imposter syndrome is a form of that. And I just, you know, I sit down and I do the thing. So I'm a big, I'm a big Ernest Hemingway fan, and I even have a cat named Hemingway, um, as a little side note. And um, one of the, the I misquote him, but it's something like the, the shortest path to getting somewhere is just doing the thing. Sometimes, as uncomfortable it is, you just have to make yourself do the thing, and on the other side, be like, okay, remember this, put this in your internal confidence bank. Draw on this the next time you think you can't do something or think people are going to see through you, quote unquote, and you're you're not good enough for what you're being asked to do. Well said. And what a perfect Ernest Hemingway quote. I know. I love that you named your cat that. That's wonderful. (laughs) It's so cute. I have a, a side question, which is. When and if you get a baby goat, <laughs> what will you name it? <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I used to have a name, uh, Mortimer. Mortimer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have a name. I, should, I haven't thought about it for a while since I got the cat a year ago. But no, Mortimer is going to be my first goat. I love it. Yeah. Perfect goat name. <laughs> is it bad that all I want to do right now is make t-shirts with <laughs> Mortimer the goat? <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> I'll get on board with that. <laughs> And speaking of doing things, right, just getting into sort of the tactical execution of it all, considering your background, what is a skill that you think is really important in the industry but isn't discussed all the time? I think you just touched on it when you referred to your talk with Sharon DeGrippo, which is empathy. It's not talked about, but I think it's a critical skill for people in general. But in our industry especially, it moves so fast. There's, There's a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of challenges that change every day. 
there are a lot of dynamics that change every day. And, you know, and there's a lot of bad stuff that's happening. So, for example, you see a lot of people, if a company is breached, there are a lot of armchair hackers out there. Or I should have, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And they're being like, oh, why did they do that? That was so stupid. Blah, blah, blah. Why would they have, yeah, we've all seen it, right? But you don't know what that person's day-to-day is like. You don't know why something actually happened. You don't know what's a PR statement or some, like, an executive that might be covering it by or you don't know if maybe they're under-resourced or somebody felt really ill that, like, I know I'm oversimplifying again. I'm really good at that. Well, I'm a marketing, so I'm good at some <laughs> but, um But I think if you can be empathetic and instead of being like, oh, that would never happen to me, they shouldn't have done that, try to be more considerate and, and, and also don't do the funny thing where you just run out to give commentary on something you don't really know anything about just to get your name in the press. <sighs> There's that, but try to offer solutions or ways that maybe people can address that in the future instead of picking on, instead of victim shaming, so to speak. Absolutely. And I think empathy is important in that, in that regard. Agreed. That's um, it's a huge thing. And I, it's funny that, it's not talked about very much. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, I'm going to segue now to the next kind of topic that we want to talk about here. So I know that you have written specifically in the past about the value of security research and how a huge part of that is, you know, identifying and reporting on threat intelligence. So with the proliferation of threat intelligence feeds, a lot of analysts, um, you know, including myself in my past life as a threat intelligence analyst, are, we frequently have to fight um, analysis paralysis and just an inundation of feeds and data that you can't even sift through to find the bad stuff. So do you have any recommendations for ways that organizations can um, try and fight this or help separate signal from noise? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And that's something that, you know, we at my company and not an advertisement, but we, we talk to people about, we talk to our customers about a lot. And one of the reasons that we do what we do. So, yeah, if you're just getting feeds and feeds of IOCs and, and or, you know, just ever other types of indicators and there's no there's no context to it, you're not sure how it applies to you, um, you you're just gonna drown. You just imagine somebody like literally drowning a one and zero, so to speak, right? It's not going to help you. It's going to distract from what you need to get done. Um from a, in a threat intelligence perspective, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about where I see the future security and what people have to take into consideration. There are a lot of threat intelligence companies out there that actually do offer the human support that goes along with the technology that they contextualize it. They can tell you how it applies to your industry. They can tell you, you know, if you are a big financial company, the, uh, there's a, there's a new CV or what have you, and there are threat actors talking about it. What are they talking about in context of how that impacts you and your peers or your company? Those are the things that you need to know so you can take action or dismiss it because maybe you already have that handled. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. That was really in-depth and I appreciate it. So according to a recent SAN survey and about 4,000 other surveys, <laughs> many security professionals are really concerned about staffing and the skill shortage. So if you have any strategies or advice on how to operationalize tasks um, in incident response procedures or with threat intelligence to help in that, in that arena a bit, or just any other general feedback on the whole cybersecurity skill shortage conversation. 
I think, you know, I'm best equipped to answer kind of the broader question. I mean, I have a lot of ideas in the operationalizing it, but I think I want to touch back on uh, what we were talking about, you know, more diversity and security, um, imposter syndrome, um, all of those things. I, I think that the, 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 the high sad barrier to entry and getting into our industry because of the dynamics and people being hesitant to really push forward for the opportunities that they want um, is in direct correlation with this or directly impacts the, the skill shortage, right? Because there's definitely not a hiring shortage. Right. Look at like so many companies right now, even ours, they're, they're hiring in, you know, in security and intelligence vendors and they're looking for these people. But so why is there a skill shortage? It's not because there aren't people out there that want to do it, that have the talent, just they're not, they're not coming into, they're not coming in fast enough. And then in some ways, you know, at the, you know, sometimes they're alienated away from it. So I think, I think we need to figure out how to, to be empathetic. I'm going to tie it all together now. We're going to be empathetic. We need to educate people in the industry without scaring them, encourage people to push forward for the opportunities that they're ready for, um, that they know they're ready for, no matter what anybody else says. And then also, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are hiring that are like, well, I want someone that has 10 years of experience and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And for certain types of roles, if you're hiring a management role, of course you need somebody that's had some experience there. But if it's for an operational role or if it's for like a, something that could be an entry-level role, invest in your people and train them. All those things together, I think, can help address the challenge that we everybody's been talking about in the 4,000 surveys for the last 10 years. So to summarize, empathize, educate, encourage. Did you know, did you subconsciously do some alliteration there when you were thinking through that? That was impressive. No, I didn't, but I think that's, I think that's the, the marketing. Um, <laughs> thing. It just happens. It's like a gift. You know? it, it keeps on giving. I love it. That's fantastic. That's wonderful advice. And um, thank you to you both, Emily, Jennifer, for all of the things that you've shared on the, the interview today. Appreciate all of the insights. And I would love to collaborate again in the future and do some other podcasts and have some more conversations with you. This has been incredibly helpful and insightful. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. We'll send you your Breaking Badness uh, baby goat here in uh, <laughs> <Mortimer>. <laughs> two business weeks. Um, take some time. <laughs> That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>